0: This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We're in a series right now from the book of Acts where we're looking at God's power through the Holy Spirit and the global impact that that had in the early days of the Apostles and that continues to happen today. Our study in this book brings us into a gathering of believers in chapter 1 who are gathered and continue to wait for the coming of the promised Holy Spirit. They continue to function, but they are gathering and they're waiting for that promise that the Lord Jesus had given before uh, He ascended back to heaven. He had told them to remain and to wait because the promise of the Comforter was coming. But as they wait, they remain focused on His will. Specifically now, the replacement of that 12th disciple. Remember, there was... A betrayer, his name was Judas. And now there were 11, but they're seeking God's will for Judas's replacement. And we're going to look at a text that perhaps in your reading of the book of Acts, you've just skimmed over. But there are some wonderful lessons, truths for us to glean from this passage about what a person forfeits who turns away from the will of God. Peter, one of the disciples, will talk about Judas in this text. It's interesting to get the perspective of one disciple about Judas, what he did. Jesus commented on it. Now we're going to get to hear a disciple, another disciple, a faithful disciple, comment on it. But in his mind, what Judas gave up by making the decision that he did... And then what the Lord looks for in choosing His replacements for spiritual leaders. We'll learn that as well. An appropriate title for this text, if we're being true to the Scriptures, is this. God chooses His apostolic replacement. God chooses His apostolic replacement. So we're going to go right into the text. We're introduced to the setting in verse Fifteen And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of the names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus So he stood in the midst of the disciples we know from verses 13 and 14 these are brothers and sisters in Christ by name there are 120 of them And so Peter reflects back now on Judas's disqualification and what Peter says really falls into three parts First, he reminds them of the testimony of Scripture. Over and over in Jesus' ministry, he fulfilled the Scripture. And and it almost seems, as you study our Lord's life, that the closer he gets to Golgotha, the more rapid fire the prophecies are fulfilled. And so in those hours when, when Jesus is suffering and then ultimately dying, and then he's raised from the dead, and, and in all of that is included Judas's betrayal. one passage after another is fulfilled. And Peter is still reflecting on that, as we see here in the book of Acts, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spoke concerning Judas, which was guided them. That took Jesus. Now, what passage is Peter referring to concerning Judas? Hold your place here and let's go back to Psalm 41. And we'll have you hold your place in the Psalms because we'll look at a couple other texts here. But in Psalm 41, notice verse 9. Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted. Now, this is noteworthy which did eat of my bread. What was the setting when the betrayal took place? When it started? It was that last supper. In fact, Jesus said, when I dip the bread in the sop to whoever I hand it to, He's going to betray me. Who did He hand it to? Judas. And what does the Lord say? Psalm 41, the end of verse 9. Of course, this is a psalm of David, but it is prophetic. Hath lifted up his heel against me. What a testimony. And Back in the book of Acts then, which was guide to them, that took Jesus. He's the one that led that band of soldiers, it was really a crowd, into the garden, walked up, and what was the sign of his betrayal? Whoever I, whoever I kiss, he's your man. Wow. Now look at verse 17, "For he was numbered with us. In other words, when it, when it came to the count of the disciples, the twelve, he was numbered with us and had obtained part. He had been given a portion by the Lord of this ministry. Now let's just pause for a moment. What is Peter saying? Literally, he had been given the opportunities of a disciple. And those opportunities could have continued on to eternal reward if he had only believed in Christ for salvation. There were ideals about Christ that he had embraced, but he hadn't believed on the Lord for salvation. But if he had... What an opportunity he had. What eternal reward he could have had. But instead, verse 18, Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity. In other words, with the wealth gained by his wicked betrayal. And do you remember what that reward was? Matthew 26, 15 tells us. 30 pieces, and I'll just say it if you're thinking scripturally, 30 pieces of lousy silver. The reward of iniquity. And what did he do? He went out and bought a field. But in that field, Matthew 27, 5 to 8 tells us, he took the money, he was gripped by conviction, went back, declared, I have betrayed an innocent man. The Pharisees respond sarcastically, well, that's on you, pal. He takes the silver, he throws it down, and he goes out. The Bible tells us that he hanged himself, and then we're given some of the details here. Peter knew it. And falling headlong after he hanged himself, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. Now, was that of Judas's choosing? I think it was all ordained of God to be a fitting ending to the betrayal. He hanged himself. Evidently, the, the rope, the cord broke, and as he went down, he hit the ground in such a way, probably, and there's that stony ground all over that area, hit the ground in such a way that it opened him up and literally disemboweled him. What an awful end to a man who made one of the most awful decisions in all of history. Thus, Judas became the Balaam of the New Testament, as one commentator pointed out. And then he loved the wages of unrighteousness. Peter talks about that, 2 Peter 2.50. For what? for some silver. And we know that he had a problem with that all along. He stole out of the bag of the the funds that had been given to the disciples and the Lord to do earthly ministry. He was a thief that way. But he was willing to do it for 30 pieces of silver. So the testimony of Scripture. Peter begins by reminding them of what the Lord had predicted about the one who would betray him. The testimony of what happened to Judas was not only known by the disciples, but he goes on to say that it was known by the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So the testimony of Jerusalem's inhabitants, they all knew perhaps these disciples had heard the chatter on the Temple Mount, in the streets, verse 19, and it was known unto all the dwellers of Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, and the way to pronounce this, you need to put an H in front of that. Uh, Hakalama. That is to say, the field of blood. Now, how did it become that? Well, when Peter gave the money back, the Pharisees, in their twisted self-righteousness, well, we can't give this into the temple treasury because it's blood money, so we'll do something noble. We'll go buy a field so that we can bury uh, the dead there, people that are not known. What a twisted sense of what's right and wrong. They had betrayed the Lord of glory along with Judas. But the people in Jerusalem all knew it was blood money. It was used to purchase that field. And so, hence, they gave it the name that's recorded for us in verse 19. Now, Peter's comments return to the testimony of Scripture as he speaks to this band of believers. The testimony of Scripture, again, verse 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate. It's interesting to me the command that Peter and the disciples had of the Scripture. You and I have read the Psalms. We've read through these passages. Maybe even you've studied them in light of their messianic significance. But isn't it interesting that Peter's just rattling this fisherman who had learned at the feet of Jesus, mentions again how in the book of Psalms this was predicted. Now where was it predicted? His habitation will be desolate. Turn to Psalm 69 if you've held your place back there. Notice Psalm 69 and verse 25. Let their habitation be desolate and let none dwell in their tents. Now if you read the verses before and after, you will see that this has, again, messianic tones. For they persecute him whom thou hast smitten, And they talk the grief of those that thou hast wounded. Add iniquity to their iniquity and let them not come into thy righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. Again, not only tones of what Jesus would accomplish, but also of what would happen to his betrayer. Back in verse 20 of Acts 1, Let his habitation be desolate. And let no man dwell therein. And his bishopric. Okay, that's speaking of the office as well as its responsibilities. And his bishopric, let another take. Hold your place and go back to Psalm 109. And you'll see this predicted. I want us to see these texts. Perhaps unfamiliar to us, but very familiar to Peter. Psalm 109, and notice verse 8. Let his days be few, and let another take his what? Office. That's that's the whole idea. The place of his bishopric. All right. So predicted by the Lord. This is what disqualified Judas. The Lord knew it. But I want us to pause for a moment and just think about how gracious the Lord was to Judas. All this is predicted. And yet the Lord, all through his earthly ministry, used Judas, gave him opportunities, sent him out, cared for him, allowed Judas to see his miracles, The Lord would actually say things to the disciples. He would allude to the fact that he would be betrayed, all in an attempt to draw Judas to himself. And yet all along, Judas, putting on an outward front, but internally rejecting what the Lord was doing. The Lord did use sarcasm from time to time, but in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was not sarcastic. When he looked At Judas, their eyes met, and through eyes of compassion, Jesus said, Betrayest thou me with a kiss? And how did he refer to Judas? Do you remember? He called him what? He called him a friend. That was the heart of the Lord towards Judas. He was willing to see him saved as well, right? And Judas is a reminder to all those who would hang out with disciples, claim to be disciples. And I hope there's no one here tonight where this is the case, but you need to understand, if you know the truth about Jesus, you even enjoy the company of disciples, you like watching the powerful things that the Lord does. Seeing people uh, healed, answers to prayer, uh, watching God answer prayer and and maybe a faith promise commitment uh, being reached and and people being saved and and seeing God at work. You, You enjoy all those things, but internally you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You need to understand tonight that that is betrayal as well. It's the essence of betrayal. And tonight you need to come to Christ. This text, through the words of Peter, reminds us that you have a great opportunity. The Lord is seeking those that are lost. He is calling you. And if you would accept the call, be saved. What an opportunity you have. An eternal reward. But if you reject Your end will be destruction like Judas. In fact, your end is predicted too. The Lord's already told us in his word what happens to those who hear and reject Christ. We reflected on it last Wednesday night. We've been working through the Pilgrim's Progress. Now what Peter says about Judas, he is not done. And we're going to come to this a little bit later. But after reminding the believers of Judas' disqualification, notice in verse 21, Peter rehearses an apostle's qualifications. Verse 21, Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John. Now let's stop for a moment. This was the start of Jesus' earthly ministry. It wasn't just, this is what Bible scholars think was the start of Jesus' earthly ministry. All right, Remember, uh, John baptizing the Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove, ascends on our Lord, or descends on our Lord. And well, that, that seems to be when His earthly ministry started. No, 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 no. Not seems to be, was. How do we know? Peter recognizes that here. This start, again, from the baptism of John, unto the same day that he was taken up from us, the end of his earthly ministry. All right, now watch. Must one be ordained, called out, set apart, to be a witness with us of his resurrection? I smiled when I studied this, and I I thought about our missions theme, witnesses of Christ. You see the wording here? To be witnesses with us of Him, and specifically His resurrection. And so again, our missions theme, right out of the Scripture, not only Acts 1.8, but again, right here in Acts 1:22. So, what are the requirements for an apostle? They're given to us right here in the text. We have those today that want to say, well, this is apostle so-and-so, and, this is a, you know, and we are an apostolic church, whatever that might mean. Okay, but, but an apostle. What was required of an apostle? Peter gives it to us here. Notice, first of all, faithfulness during our Lord's earthly ministry. From beginning... To the end. Those who are with us when Jesus was baptized, all the way up until his ascension back to heaven. Faithfulness. Now, is that in fact what our Lord thought, or is this Peter just speaking? Hold your place in Acts, go to John's Gospel. Jesus actually comments on this. Notice John 15. And look at verse 27. In my Bible, these words are in red, so you'll be able to, this is the Lord speaking. In fact, I'm going to go back to verse 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. All right? And that kind of brings into focus the book of Acts. Now watch verse 27. And ye also shall bear witness... Because ye have been with me from, what are the next two words? The beginning. There it is. From beginning to end. Faithfulness. Accompanying our Lord in His ministry. Now what's the other qualification? Witness to His resurrection. Had to have seen the risen Lord. So Judas's replacement had to have remained faithful as well as being convinced of Jesus' ultimate power over death itself by seeing the risen Lord. Now, are there other passages in the New Testament that allude to the importance of faithfulness? Sure. Second Corinthians 4.2, It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Paul instructed Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, And the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, which shall be able to teach others also. So the qualifications for a disciple to be faithful, start to finish. That's what's required of us. But for an apostle, they had to have seen the risen Lord. So whoever they're going to choose to take Judas' place as they follow the Lord's leading eye, whoever's going to be chosen, these are the qualifications. So that means that there can't be any apostles today. None of us have physically seen the risen Savior. That was a qualification though for these apostles and let me remind us, students of the Word of God, that the 12 were not just the only apostles. You'll also see that there were others that are named apostles, Barnabas, James. Uh, they saw the risen Lord too, and we could go to those, those other texts. But that's, uh, those are the qualifications. So when the apostle Paul says that I was an apostle who was chosen out of, not, not with the structure that we see here, but, but later as one born out of due season, when, when Paul refers to himself that way, uh, God knew he would be faithful. And so when, when Paul says, he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, there's first qualification, Did Paul, when he was Saul, did he see Jesus? He did. He had bad eyes to prove it. He saw the risen Lord, and he says that specifically. So he, too, qualified to be an apostle. What about Jesus' disciples today, his followers? You and I must, in order, if we're going to be saved, we must believe that he's Lord and that he rose again. So we see that through eyes of faith. And then as believers, we've got to be faithful. Faithful to what he said. Faithful to what he has called us to do. So chapter 1 closes with the apostles choosing Judas' replacement under the Holy Spirit's direction. So they choose his replacement. Look at verse 23. And they appointed two. The idea here is they put forward two that meet the qualifications that that Peter had just talked about. They put them forth for consideration. Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed, or his nickname, what he preferred to go by was Justice, and Matthias. Now look at verse 24. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, Show whether of these two thou hast chosen. Do you see the emphasis here? They've gone to the Lord. Lord, you must do the choosing. Verse 25, that he may take part of or occupy this ministry and apostleship. Let me just pause again as we look at that word apostleship. That's an old word that means to send away. It's important that we stop and consider that because it was not just about holding an honorable office. I'm an apostle. In fact, Paul will deal with this. There were those walking around. Well, I'm an apostle. He's not an apostle. I'm an apostle. And what will Paul appeal to? This whole idea of being sent and doing the work of the ministry. Paul will talk about his own faithfulness. I was faithful to the heavenly calling. And that is an important part of being an apostle. You you can walk around and, and boast of being a Christian. I'm a disciple of Jesus, okay? If you're really a disciple, a disciple is a learner and a follower. What are you doing for Jesus? You can claim whatever. What are you doing for Jesus? That whole idea of apostleship is referring to, again, being sent out and being willing to go. We need someone who's faithful who's going to be willing to go. What did Jesus say? He said, follow me and I will make you to be what? fishers of men. That's why I'm sending you. And that, that all fits in here in the context with this idea of being an apostle. So they prayed. He said, God, you know hearts. Show us the two that you have chosen who are willing to occupy this ministry and apostleship being sent out as a witness of Christ in his resurrection. And now Peter reflects back on Judas, from which Judas by transgression fell. Do you know what that word fall means? It's a simple word that means turned away. Turned away. Here's the path. Here are the footsteps of Jesus, following Jesus. And at some point, he summed things up and he said, no, I don't want to go that way. I want to go that way. His falling was turning aside from the clear path that the Lord had laid out. Again, how descriptive of those who who may even start out and and they've got thoughts of being a disciple of Jesus and they they follow in his footsteps, but but there's really not faith in Christ. And at some point they choose to go their own way. That's what Judas did. He turned aside. And then Peter says this, that he might go to his own place. Again, various commentators reflect on this. But the idea here is that he chose his destiny. He chose it. I've had discussions with folks about, well, you know, Judas kind of got a raw deal because he was chosen to do what he did, and, and that was God's plan, and he didn't have any choice in the matter. Oh, yes, he did. Yes, he did. Now, God in his providence allowed him to choose, and yes, God's plan of salvation was fulfilled, but this was Judas's decision. The Gospels prove it, and Peter reiterates it here. He chose his destiny, and then Peter is saying, and now he occupies that place of torment. It sobers me to think that when that rope broke, probably Judas broke his neck, and on the way down, the scripture here tells us what happened. But consider the fact that he chose, he turned aside, chose his destiny. And this 2,000 years later, where is Judas tonight? He's still in hellfire. In every moment of his existence for the rest of eternity will be a remembrance of the opportunities he had that Jesus gave him. Who chose the 12? Jesus did. The opportunities that he gave him, and yet Judas decided not to believe. Again, I appeal to anyone here tonight. Folks may even think you're a disciple, but if you have not been saved, may the example of Judas open your eyes and come running. And would you please come running to Jesus? He wants to save you. Don't delay. So Peter reflects on this, and then this portion of the of the uh, passage closes with verse 26. And they gave forth their lots. So what they did, and we know a lot, was a casting of the dice. Some Bible scholars think that they, they put names in a, in a jar and reached in. And However it happened. We know that the Lord was leading in it. Leading in it and as they trusted the Lord, God made it clear with every one of them who God's choice was going to be. Now, was this a legitimate means of choosing? Well, we have to remember it was the Old Testament model for God's choosing. They had sought the Lord's leading in the matter, and nothing in the text indicates that God disapproved. And who was chosen? The lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. And now there are 12 again. So let's close. Once again, we see God's choosing in his next apostolic replacement, Matthias. They looked at the Holy Spirit's leading in the past, what he had predicted. They call on the Lord to guide now in the choosing. They're dependent on the Lord. He he is at the center of their thinking. Verse 16, they depend on his leading and the choice is made. So again, what what an amazing passage that reminds us that we need to consider, not if we're just professing disciples, But if we're actually disciples who are faithfully pursuing the Lord, we've trusted Him by faith alone. We're walking faithfully in His footsteps. Is that true of you tonight? Say, well, I am a believer, but I've not been so faithful. Uh, My love for the Lord has waned. There are things in my life right now where I've turned aside. Tonight, come back to Christ. And if you're not saved, come Believe on Him. And then realize, church, that as the Lord is is putting things in place, He's going to send His Spirit, and we're going to watch the church powerfully take off in the book of Acts. As we watch that, it reminds us again that we all need to be dependent on the Spirit of God, who now indwells us. We receive Him when we're saved. But we need to depend upon Him for every decision we make, every choice, and all of our efforts for the Lord. And then the obvious application here, when it comes to spirit choosing spiritual leadership. We're going to see this in chapter 6 when they choose disciples. We're going to see it later when they choose the first missionaries and send them out, Paul and Barnabas. Once again, faithfulness, walking in the footsteps of the Lord, faithfulness. Not just holding an office. Not just having a name, but understanding that we are sent forth. Those who are faithful to their calling, they're the ones that then need to be chosen to lead Christ's church. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, this, in some people's minds, is an obscure text, but it is so important and so foundational what you're going to do when you send your spirit to these believers at Pentecost and and the church moves forward. Everything is being prepared for the, the birth of the church and then the work of the church. Now, Lord, tonight, I don't know how you may have worked in hearts. Thank you. Uh, Young and old alike here have listened so faithfully, have listened so well. But God, I believe you've tugged on hearts. You've spoken in ways that this preacher will never know. But Lord, you've, you've spoken to hearts that are lost. Lord, help them to be saved tonight. You've spoken to those who are true disciples. Help us to be right tonight. So, work in this invitation. Have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757 488 3241.